you and I on this road to the crucifixion in this Lenten season as we journey in Dallas Willard's book of renovation of the heart to enter into a new kind of reality and we become in which we become different kinds of people and we need that so badly and I can't do that and you can't do that but God can and so we try to surrender to him I want to talk for a few moments today about a remarkable statement from the Danish thinker Søren Kierkegaard purity of heart is to will one thing, but I cannot do that. I cannot will just one thing. I have a problem. The playwright Tennessee Williams in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof called it mendacity. So we'll talk about that a little bit. And then we're going to get to uh, a prayer from a much humbler source, what might be called the shake and bake prayer. So here we start. Uh, this is just such a profound insight into my life, and I think the human condition. Dallas writes, The constant character of the will, apart from God, is duplicity, or, more accurately, fragmentation and multiplicity. It wills many things, and they cannot be reconciled with each other. Turned away from God, thought and feeling fall into chaos, and the will cannot but followed. And this conflicted complexity may go unrecognized or unacknowledged. And it very often does. So, I'm talking with another person, and I say, now I don't want to say something negative about another person, but... And that little word, but, almost always comes at the end of that phrase. Because the fact is, I do want to say something negative about another person. It will feel good. It will make me feel superior. However, my conscience knows that I shouldn't. So, uh, at the conscience level, I think no. But at the level of feeling, I want to. And then there's the problem of my image. How do other people perceive me? And I don't want them to look at me as though I were a gossip. So now I want to try to convince them that I don't want to say something negative about another person. I kind of want to make myself think that, but I really do want to say something negative about another person. So now I have to recruit my body to help me with this. See, when I say I don't want to say something negative about somebody, I can't say it like, I don't want to say something negative about someone, because nobody would believe that. So I have to adopt a concerned look on my face and a kind of strained, sorrowful tone to my voice. In other words, I have to train my body to help me to deceive other people so that I can say something negative about someone without them thinking that I really want to do this. But I have to train my body to do this without even being terribly aware that I'm doing that or else I would think of myself as a hypocrite. I would be aware that I am a hypocrite and I, I don't want to think of myself as a hypocrite. So I have to figure out a way to forget as quickly as possible that I'm getting my body to do this so that it becomes habitual. And my body is simply doing this after a while as a reflexive thing. 
and I'm using my body to conceal the truth about myself from other people, and I cannot even understand or know what the truth is about myself. I'm at a dinner with a group of people, and we are all Christians. We're all involved in church ministry of one sort or another, and there's one person who hasn't said very much, and so I ask that person a question so that that could draw them out a little bit. And then the next thought that comes to me is, what a kind person I am. And how good it is that I do something humble like this. And I wonder if other people have noticed that and why other people don't do that more. And there, there is this division inside me. I want to be generous and I want to be humble. And I want people to think really well of me. And I want to be superior. And I'm arrogant. And then another person around that circle talks about an organization with some important people in it where they're having some problems. And I ask some questions about this, and I say some things about this organization in a way so that other people at the table will know, I know some of those folks, I'm important. And I say it as though I'm really concerned about those people, although, of course, part of me wants other people to know there's something negative going on there so that I can feel good about me. And if you were to ask me, why do I do these things? Did I ask this person who hadn't said much to talk because I'm generous-spirited or because I want to feel proud? Did I say things about this organization because I'm genuinely concerned about them or because I want people to think that I'm concerned? I don't know. I cannot will one thing. There's a play, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, by a playwright, Tennessee Williams, and at one point, one of the characters, Big Daddy, is talking about mendacity. That's one of his big words. He says, in all the world, there is no odor as powerful as mendacity. You just have to live with it. And uh, uh, it's a system that is all around us as well inside of us. It's not just that I'm lying. It's that deceit gets so deeply inside me that after a while, I'm not even sure where the truth stops and deceit starts. I live. <laughs> I'm laughing because I was talking to Nancy about this, and she loves plays. And there's another character in the play named Maggie, and she just walks around saying, there's life inside me. And Nancy kept saying that, so sorry to be smiling at this point. But mendacity is this huge problem. So now Dallas goes on. The heart is precisely what God observes and addresses in human beings. He cares little or nothing for outward show. One of the amazing observations Dallas makes on page 149 is, when it comes to the human spirit, nothing can be hidden. Lying always depends upon the use of our bodies. Now, I won't say much about that, just invite you to think about that. In the, at the unseen level, you have thoughts, and they simply are. And with my mind, I cannot lie to God. God knows all of my thoughts. It requires my body, which is a gift from God, to be able to lie. And that's why the Bible talks about how God looks at the heart. He responds to the heart because it is, above all, who we are, who we choose to be, and have chosen to be. What God wants of us can only come from there. And then this hopeful thought, God is sensitive to the slightest move of the heart toward him. 
This is both the witness of the body and of life. doesn't matter whether you are religious or not, Jew or Greek. For the same one is Lord of all, abounding in riches on all who call upon him, Romans 10. In fact, God is constantly looking for people who will turn to him. Dallas writes, It is as if God has a heart monitor installed in every person. And when the heart truly reaches out to God as God, no longer looking to itself or others, he responds with the gift of life from above. And then Dallas talks about this movement where we go uh, from surrender. Surrender is where we consent to God's supremacy in all things, but often that's kind of with a grudging uh, spirit. You know, God, you are more powerful. I recognize that you're wiser than me, so okay, I will acknowledge that. Um, I will let go. But then we don't stop there, he says. We're able to move on from surrender to abandonment. Now, abandonment is when there are no longer any secret hidden little places inside me that are covered up with mendacity. But I just say to God, all right, all right. Full surrender now. Your will be done. Your will be done. But, he says, it's like those old ads where they throw in a Ginsu steak. Now, we don't stop there. We go on from abandonment to contentment. And this is where not only... Do we have a fully surrendered life? But we recognize that the God who is behind all things is a good God. And we are glad to have him with us. And even if the situation in my life is really difficult or painful, I can still experience joy in it because I believe that God is working for good within it. And I'm trusting in that. And then Dallas goes on page 151. But we are not done yet. Beyond contentment lies intelligent energetic participation in accomplishing God's will in our world. We are no longer spectators, but are caught up in a vivid eternal drama in which we play an essential part. There used to be an old commercial for a product called Shake and Bake, and there was always a little kid that would pop up next to, usually mom was the adult, and say about the meal, and I helped. And I, and that's the Shake and Bake prayer. God, could I help? So now today, the invitation is, in a world of mendacity, where my own spirit is consumed by it, I can't change this. I can't. God can. God, would you help me to will one thing? Would you free me from the arrogance and deception and self-centeredness and hiddenness and gossip and cruelty? Would you, would you enable me to embrace you, to surrender abandon in contentment and then today god can i participate with you in what you're doing could i be a part of this great project could i too be a little kingdom bringer along with jesus as as i go as you go through your day to day whatever you are doing whatever little bit of work whoever you might be talking to whatever task you are finishing whatever errand you are running whatever screen you are reading, whatever conversation you are holding, as often as you think about it, God, can I help? God, can I help? God, can I help? God, purify my heart. Let me just will that. Now, tomorrow, we're going to look at one of my favorite phrases in all of Dallas's book. Hope to see you then. <laughs>